What's good? You already know who it is, and if you don't know who it is, it's your man Leon Benson, aka Leon Genesis, aka your mom's favorite personal trainer, aka Let's Get It, aka Let's Work, aka Always Working, aka Features Thompson in the building. What it do? We back at it again, man. This is episode 123, season three of the Passion Purpose Perspective podcast by yours truly. We out here, we working. It's Sunday, fun day, October 30th, 2022, man. Uh, so yeah, let's get down to brass tacks, aka. Let's talk about today's topics. So, last episode, we discussed uh, the military trainer thinking that all you need is nine minutes of exercise a day to get in shape. Um, which, if you want to know what my thoughts on that, you can go back into the feed and you can check out episode 122. Um, and then on top of that, we discussed in the world of finance, we can, uh, we're still on income statements, consolidated income statements, um, except this time we broke down research and development. So once again, if you want to get into all of the dibs and details of that episode, make sure you go into the feed, go to episode 122. And then you can feel free to listen to whichever section you like, the fitness or the finance. Now, today, we're going to talk about the most common exercise injuries and how to avoid them. That's on the fitness front. And then on the world of finance, we're going to cover other expenses in a consolidated income statement. Um, so just to remind you guys make sure that you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. We got more episodes on the way. Now, um, in, in regards to my own training, I just want to give a little quick update. So today, um, I did my first run in like a couple of weeks. Um, why is that a big deal? Because I actually took off for a couple of weeks um, as far as just doing like any long distance running. So yeah, that was... I know it sounds weird, but that was a big deal for me. So yeah, um, been having some injury issues, having a little bit of pain. So I really just dialed it back um, all the way. And then today I just did uh, my first run uh, in a while. So basically it's been like uh, roughly a little under a month. Did a six mile run today in under one hour. Did like 59 minutes. My pace was like nine minutes and 24 seconds or so. Um, it felt weird at first. But towards the end, it felt absolutely amazing. Um, started to get that, you know, just that adrenaline rush. Some of the endorphins. Only only issue I had was I wasn't really tired. I wasn't gassed at all. Um, honestly, not even a little bit. Just my legs were still pretty sore. So I'm not 100% healed yet, but we're working on it. So, yeah, um, we were just discussing earlier just like some some potential training strategies and programs um that I might implement going into next year's season because I do want to I do want to uh participate in some more events, some more long distance races. Um specifically um I still want to compete against other individuals in a half marathon and then lord willing I can do a marathon, um at least one marathon and then just kind of just 
play it by ear after that. But we'll see what happens, man. Um, anyway, that's beside the point. So today's episode, um, want to talk about uh, injuries, of course. So most common injuries that individuals get throughout their workout routines and how to avoid them. So I found an article on CNET.com by Mercy Livingston. And according to certified personal trainer Liz Letchford, uh, back, knee, and shoulder injuries are the most common. Um, another common cause of injuries, um, well, I don't even know why I said that, but basically, basically put, your back usually hurts you, your knee usually hurts, and then shoulder injuries. Um, I've definitely had all three, for sure, especially when it comes to knee injuries. Um, whether it's weight training or long distance running. I definitely have had, um, you know, some tendonitis, mild arthritis, what have you, um, some aches and pains here and there, nothing too severe. Um, I've had shoulder injuries in the past. Sometimes they come, they creep up, you know, um, and yeah, I mean, for me, this, this is, this is a definitely, uh, an eye opening, not even eye opening, but it's just an article that it's just like, man, it really, it really humbled me and really showed me like that. Um, you know, as much as I like to train hard, honestly, sometimes the way that I exercise and engage in physical activity is actually extremely incorrect because I overtrain or I don't do proper warm ups or proper cool downs or, you know, I just. I don't give myself enough time in between uh, just extremely intense exercises. So yeah, I just want to run down um, some of the information that I found in this article that could probably be extremely useful to you in your fitness journey, um, especially if you're in the beginning processes of getting in shape and just starting to really experience, you know, things like injuries and just how to deal with them and overcome them um, and to ultimately fix them. So, essentially, one uh, uh, a cause of getting injuries, whether it's your back, your knee, or your shoulder, your knees or your shoulders, is increasing your intensity uh, way too soon. Which, again, I'm guilty of that. Um, especially over the last, I would say, like four to five weeks previously, before the break that I took, man, I was going super duper hard, um, and of course now suffering from injuries so there's another trainer named celestine out Al- Al- jesus um he's a master trainer in new york that says that improper mobility and uh strength cause workout injuries as well so some other tidbits basically Taking it slow when starting new workouts and focusing on better form can help minimize the possibility of injuries. Some other helpful tips. Minimizing the amount of mileage if you're running or biking um, or if you're on a treadmill or whatever, walking. What else? If you're doing the rower machine, if you're doing a ski erg, etc. Just decreasing the amount, the, the, the duration um, of time that you're training. And then also another thing, if you're if you're lifting weights, if you're a weight trainer, um, if you're a power lifter, or if you just like to, you know, just increase your your bone density 
work on your your stabilizers, work on just being more stable, or you're trying to increase lean tissue to be able to burn more calories throughout the day by by adding on lean muscle, decreasing the amount of weight that you lift if you're in the gym or doing resistance training is something else that you can do to prevent injuries, whether it's injuries in your back, your knees, your shoulders, your hips, your, you know, wherever the injuries are. Um, it could be an injured tendon or ligament or joint. It could be, you know, a torn muscle or strained muscle. It could possibly be like a stress fracture or whatever it is, but you might have to dial it back, um, tone it down some, lower the amount of weight that you're lifting. You don't have to ego lift, you know, or, or lift heavy because you're training with a training partner that might be stronger than you. So what? If you know you can't lift that amount of weight, lift the weight that you're comfortably able to lift so that you don't get injured. Um, because a lot of the times, man, we just... The adrenaline's pumping, we're feeling good, so we just think, all right, well, I feel good, so I'm going to lift heavier. It's like, that's not always the case. Um, Just because you feel good during a workout doesn't mean you should push it to the absolute max. You got to figure out when you're able to do that. And if you're getting subtle signs or subtle, you know, nuances that an injury could be, you know, occurring that's when it's time to pull back. Um, but it's just knowing your body, understanding your body. Um, another thing to help prevent injuries throughout your training process, throughout your training camps or competitions is warming up properly. Another thing is training progressively. So warm-ups, for example, um, I've definitely come to love, I absolutely love warming up. Sometimes I actually love warming up more than I actually love doing the, the workout, if that makes sense, just because of the anticipation. Um, and, and again, you, you start to just build up that, that energy and that heightness, getting ready for whatever, whatever exercise you're about to do. Um, and it's just like, yeah, man, I used to only warm up. Well, in the beginning of my training journey, I didn't really do any warming up at all. I just would start hitting the weights. And that was it. But over time, yeah, you start to get injured and it's harder for you to recover. So the next time you go in, you want to make sure that you don't have to deal with any type of like irritating injuries. So you start to learn how to warm up. And I've went from five minute warm ups to 15 minutes to 30 minutes. And I know it's kind of crazy, but yeah, some days I will warm up for one hour. Um, and I know it kind of goes against just the standard of training, you know, maximum as far as like having a high intensity, no more than like 90 minutes. So it's just like, well, shit, if you're, if you're, you know, warming up for an hour, it's like your warm up is a whole workout. Like, what are you doing? But that's just the way it is for me now, man, especially, you know, as my body just gets more worn down from all the training that I've been doing. Um, personally, yeah, like, um, I've been training since I was 12 years old, so I'll be 34 this year. It's been a long ass journey. Um, and I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. So definitely warming up is super duper key. Um, now if you're pressed for time, at least bare minimum, do a five minute warm up. like, do a five minute warm up. 
um, I would say start with maybe some dynamic stretching. If you don't know what dynamic stretching is, Google it. Um, it's, it's not static stretching. Static stretching is not ideal before you begin training because your muscles are still pretty rigid. Um, and for lack of a better term, they're actually pretty cold. So the muscle fibers are not able to stretch as long. They're not able to be as elongated um, because, again, you're not properly warmed up. There's not a lot of blood flow to the muscles for them to, to work and get oxygen and blood flowing so that you can stretch them um, to their fullest potential um, and so that they can grow properly. Ergo, you need to focus on warming up properly. Um, and a proper warm-up, in, in, in my humble opinion, you should have, you should be breaking a light sweat, a very, very, very light sweat. Not saying you should be out of breath, but you definitely should be sweating a little bit or glistening at least after your warm up. So if you can spare the time, it's 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, 365 days a year, like, come on, man, you, you got time to warm up. So really, if you're really trying to prevent injuries, 15 minute warm up should be ideal for beginners. Um, Especially if you're really loading up the bars or really loading up the curls, if you're doing weight training or just like high impact uh, exercises, for example, like sprinting, that's very high impact on your knees. Ergo, you should make sure that you put a lot of emphasis on warming up and making sure your muscles are warm enough to be able to fully extend or fully function the way that they're supposed to. Um, so yeah, man, definitely, um, you gotta warm up. You gotta warm up. Like you can't, I can't stress that enough. Warming up is so key and it's so important, um, to preventing all types of different injuries. Uh, another thing is training progressively, not going too hard, um, or too heavy, too, too intense, too soon. So again, there, there's, you know, there's principles in, fitness, especially in regards to resistance training or weight training, something called progressive overload. And in layman's terms, progressive overload basically means don't load up. Okay. If you're bench pressing, don't load up the bar, you know, with 300 pounds right off the bat. Obviously you know that, but maybe, you know, you should, even if it's your, you know, your first six months benching, bench pressing, you need to start with the bar. Once you master benching just the bar, a 45-pound bar or a 20-pound bar, whichever type of bar you have, then you move up. Maybe add 10-pound plates on each side. Then you, you know, progress with that, master that, get good at that. Over time, you start to just incrementally increase the amount of weight uh, every couple of weeks or so. You don't increase the weight every single week. Your body might not be ready for that yet. But yeah, again, essentially progressive overload is just you, you, you taking baby steps and, and just gradually increasing the weight over time, maybe every three weeks or maybe once a month. It just depends on your body. It depends on, uh, you know, the amount of intensity that you're training with. It depends on so many different, uh, aspects. So you definitely want to gradually increase your your amount of, of weight that you're lifting or if you're running you want to gradually increase the amount of mileage 
Um, and then even the, the intensity, how hard you train, you want to gradually increase that over time. You don't want to just go from, you know, a light workout to the next day or the next week. You're, you're going balls to the wall, super hard, hundred percent effort because you're definitely going to get injured for sure. Um, another thing is properly cooling down and allowing enough time to recover. That is so key and important. So something that you'll see a lot in terms of cooling down is runners, long distance runners, they will, they're definitely keen on cooling down. Even after they do maybe like a 15 mile run, you'll see them afterwards doing maybe like a one mile run. And essentially what that's doing is you're allowing the body to slow down. You're beginning to bring down your heart rate, um, which of course is gonna be extremely elevated um, for a short period of time. And a healthier way or safer way to be able to decrease your heart rate from let's say 180 beats per minute down to you know whatever your resting heart rate is i don't know maybe it's 70 beats per minute or 75 or something like that you don't want to you how are you going to go from 180 to 75 beats per minute like that it's not going to work um so even again if you're okay, like example, if you're a runner and you ran, you know, long distance, or maybe you ran like three miles and it was pretty intense for a cool down, you do not even 50% of your, of your effort of maybe like a half mile run, or you just do like kind of a power walk and just gradually lower or decrease the speed of your walking as you get closer to, you know, lowering your heart rate so you want to have on some type of heart rate monitor if it's a fitbit or an apple watch or whatever other type of smart watches they have that can allow you to assess where your heart rate is directly after or immediately after your workout and then from there you can gradually decrease the amount of effort and intensity that you're that you're engaged in during that workout and just monitor your heart rate as it starts to fall you go a little bit slower with whatever movements that you're completing or finishing um ergo that'll allow you to cool down properly um without just trying to turn it off right away or shut it off like a light switch it's not how it works it takes time for people's heart rates to come down this is why cooling down is so key and so important um so what else is another thing um, another thing to prevent injuries is stretching after your workouts. So stretching after your workouts is actually way more effective since your muscles are already warmed up and relaxed. I spoke about this earlier, literally like in the beginning of the episode. It's, it's, it's ideal to have your body already be warm and loose. So that way, when you do stretch, you're getting the full range of motion from your muscles because there's blood already pumping into the muscle. There's already oxygen getting into the muscle, giving it life, um, allowing the range of motion to be uh, just properly stretched to its fullest potential so that you're not doing half as reps or or causing injuries because your muscles not fully extended because it's not as warm. So yes, again, it's better to stretch after you train or after you get warmed up and break a light sweat um but the 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 best time to stretch most likely is going to be right after you finish training and cool down because once again your muscles are going to be a lot more relaxed a lot more warm ergo the range of motion and the stretch that you're going to get on those muscles is going to be a lot better for you 
Um, and again, that's going to help you to prevent injuries. And it's also going to alleviate a little bit of soreness too. So yeah, man. Um, and just another thing too, is just monitoring your, your intensity levels. Maybe, okay. If you train four days a week, maybe you have one really intense day. One, uh, or matter of fact, you could do it like this. Your first, your, your first day out of the four days could be just, all right, you kind of just getting your body adapted to what's about to happen for the rest of the week in, in, in regards to your training day. So you, so you're training, all right, it's your first day. You got three days left. So you don't want to go crazy that first day. Your second day, maybe you, you want to go a little bit harder. You want to go a little bit more intense because, okay, you already trained the first day. So your body's starting to adapt. You're a little more warmed up. Um, you know, you're just, you got your rhythm going with whatever training session or whatever training techniques that you're using. And then it's just like, all right, maybe the third day is when you go like super duper hard, um, and you, and you push it and try to get the most out of your workouts, get the most out of your reps, get the most out of your sets, get the most out of your, your mileage. Um, or if you're training for basketball or football, whatever it is, your sport, get the most out of it that third day, that fourth day, that should probably be like an active rest day. Um, so that way you're gradually decreasing the amount of weight, lowering the intensity levels, you know, properly warming up, properly cooling down, doing some dynamic stretching, um, just really giving your body time to heal from the intensity the day before. Um, so yeah, it's just like figuring out, okay, what type of athlete are you? How many, you know, how many days does it take you to, to really get into the groove of things? When do you reach your, your peak in terms of your intensity levels? When does your body start to crash or hit a wall? Or when are you just mentally fatigued and out of it? Um, you want to know before those moments come. So that way you can start to dial it down or, um, or just pull it back a little bit. Um, so that way, again, you're not overtraining or overdoing it because then you're going to, you know, start to get injuries and whatnot. So it's really just about managing your expectations and just managing your, your current routine and just looking at where, where you're making mistakes at in regards to overtraining or not training enough or not having enough rest days or not properly warming up or not properly cooling down. And then also too, just having good form versus shitty form. That's another thing. You want to make sure your form is on point. Um, a lot of us, we have poor posture, which we, we sometimes carry that into our training, uh, our training sessions. Ergo, we run into injuries because we don't realize that, you know, we have poor, uh, poor form. And poor form is definitely a proponent of people getting injured in the gym. So, yeah, if you're injured, you can't work out. If you can't work out, you know, you're going to be sitting on the sidelines. If you're sitting on the sidelines, you're going to start to gain weight. If you're gaining weight, you're going to become extremely unhealthy. If you're extremely unhealthy, you're going to decrease your life expectancy. And it's just like, man, I want to live as long as I possibly can live. So I practice what I preach and... That, that's that's a part of the reason why I'm discussing this because it's important, you know, for me and also for you as well to implement some of these strategies so that we can train um, and just and be safe and be healthy and injury free for as long as possible um, so we can have the best quality of life, man. So, yeah, man, stop ego lifting. Make sure you have proper form. Um, 
Make sure you're getting plenty of rest in between training sessions. Um, what else? You know, proper supplementation. Make sure you're properly cooling up. 15 minute warm up. Uh, cool, uh, warm, yeah, warming up. Make sure you're warming up. 15 minutes minimum. You got you got the time, man. Make the time. Cooling down, same thing. 15 minute cool down, or or just looking at and monitoring your heart rate. Um, stretching post workout after you work out. Um, definitely more beneficial. You're gonna get more fuller range of motion. Um, your muscles are gonna be a lot warmer and, and able to stretch to their fullest extent. Ergo, decreasing the potential for future injuries. So yeah, man, that that's pretty much it for that. Um, so hopefully you got something extremely useful out of today's episode. So if you did, make sure once again. You download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. We got more episodes on the way. Now, getting into the world of finance, um, I'm going to give a, a quick, brief rundown of what's been going on in the economy from my own perspective, and then we're going to touch on income statements and get into other expenses. So, the S&P 500 at the close on Friday was at 3000 901.06 or 19.4% off of the January 4th 52 week highs. So we're, we're slightly nudged above a bear market. Um, and we're still in, well, above being above, we're in corrective territories. Um, a correction is the 10% loss, uh, in the market, specifically in the S&P 500. And then a 20% loss is 20, it, our, yeah, 20% loss is a bear market. So we're at 19%. So again, slightly nudged um, above uh, a bear market, excuse me. So yeah, we're, we're not, we're not out of the woods. We're not in the clear, like it's still rocky out here. It's still crazy. Now, recently there was a crazy ass bear market rally on Friday. Um, essentially the market was just going crazy um, a lot of you guys probably saw your accounts just, you know, up to 3%. Um, I know the S&P was up, what, well over 2% on Friday. So, yeah, even though we're still essentially in a bear market, sometimes we'll have bear market rallies. And a part of the bear market rally this time was because of earnings reports. So it's it's essentially earnings season. So what the hell is that? Earnings season basically is when some of the top companies in America will um, they'll basically will give their financial updates for the quarter. So every three months is a quarter for businesses. So they will give their financial progress in reports called 8K reports. And these 8K reports are just quarterly reports. So every single quarter, if there are stocks that you own, Every, every three months, you're going to be able to see a financial update on the income statements, the balance sheets, um, you know, assets, liabilities, just all, all the different rundowns, man, the expenses that they pay, what they're doing with the capital that they're reinvesting back into the business, how much they're distributing via dividends, um, any share buybacks that they've done, just how they were able to increase or in some cases decrease their overall value. So... Because of some of these companies having positive earnings reports, the market went up in like crazy. It rallied like crazy. The market rallied like crazy. Um, 
which is kind of wild since we've been experiencing, you know, a bear market for the better portion of, of the year so far. Um, but some people might think like, oh, yeah, we're, we're in the clear. It's going to just be up from here. Um, I'm not sure that's going to be the case, but we'll get into that. So going back to earnings reports and earnings rallies. So one of the reasons that you will see a rally in a bear market is because of some of the top companies in the S&P 500. So I looked at Vanguard's VOO index fund, which is just basically it mimics or tracks the S&P 500, which is just 500 of Americans of America's top companies. And the top companies that I looked at in that in that fund is Apple. Apple is 6.88% of the fund and Apple is a 2.50 trillion dollar market cap company. So they've got over 2 trillion dollars in value. The next company, Microsoft. Microsoft is 5.72% of the the S&P 500. They are a 1.76 trillion dollar company. Amazon is 3.30% of the VOO fund. Again, Amazon is over a over 1 trillion dollars in market cap. Tesla is 2.33% of the S&P 500. And then another company is Google. Google is 1.89% of the S&P 500. Now, the top 3 companies in the S&P 500 are worth over 1 trillion dollars. So when those companies have large sell-offs or when they have substantial rallies, it lifts the rest of the market or the rest of the S&P 500 index, which causes a relief rally or an earnings rally. And again, these these earnings rallies are based on beating or having positive earnings for the most previous quarter or the most of the previous three months. Um, another another thing that was boosting the markets uh, this past week is that investors are kind of optimistic or just pricing in or anticipating or assuming that the Federal Reserve will become dovish and not raise rates as high. Um, so it's just like they think, well, maybe maybe the Federal Reserve is only going to increase rates by 50 basis points instead of 75 basis points at the at the next uh, FOMC meeting. But that's probably not going to be the case, because, again, if you look at things like the unemployment rate, the unemployment rate is still not really going anywhere. It's pretty much stable. There still are a lot of jobs available, and that's one of the proponents, one of the catalysts in regards to the Federal Reserve's mandates and what they need to do to try to stabilize prices and, and to have a healthy economy um, and, and getting that 8.2% uh, rate of inflation down to 2%. So we, we've got, we, we have a very, very, very long way to go. And I will be extremely shocked and surprised if the Federal Reserve pivots from where, where we are right now. Um, but it's definitely looking like we're going to get 5% on the Fed funds rate. If you don't know what the Fed funds rate is, look at look it up. But essentially, the Fed funds rate is a rate that is controlled by the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve, they, they basically manage the money supply within the economy um, from a monetary perspective. Um, the government also gives out money, too. Um, but 
in regards to you know the market the stock market and different types of businesses getting whether they're getting bailed out or whatever or just even looking at the the bond market or debt securities the federal reserve is responsible for flooding the markets with a lot of liquidity or drying up the liquidity cycle and taking that money away by tightening and right now we are in quantitative tightening like to the to the to the highest level um so yeah the federal reserve is taking money out of the system and what's happening is they're raising interest rates because of this and because of, because they're raising interest rates that means that when people borrow money they're paying much higher interest rates so this goes for your regular everyday people that got you know credit cards uh car notes uh what else or lease payments mortgages especially um and just businesses that are hiring individuals or businesses that borrow um borrow from the federal reserve via treasury bonds or different types of again different types of debt securities government securities municipal bonds etc so i all of that basically is just saying that the cost of borrowing money is much higher and that puts a lot of pressure on everybody across the board so the federal reserve essentially wants to raise the cost of borrowing money to the point where it discourages people from 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 buying things and from borrowing money ergo you start to get price contractions the prices start to come down for certain things because there's less demand because again the cost of living is so much higher the cost of doing business is so much higher so people are not going to want to do business right now they're not going to want to shop as much or they're not going to want to hire as many people um or they're not going to want to borrow as much debt to to fund their companies and essentially at some point that is supposed to lower prices and bring inflation down ultimately um but that's only one aspect of the whole inflation uh debacle there's a lot of other things like the supply chain issues that we had um, that also caused a lot of inflation. And another thing, of course, too, was, again, the, uh, the Federal Reserve giving away so much money in terms of stimulus checks. Um, so, yeah, they, 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 they definitely are culprits in terms of what's been going on and these higher prices and just the struggle that some of these individuals and businesses are dealing with as of late. So, yeah, man, it affects everybody and everything, whether you have a lot of money or don't, whether you have a business or you're an employee, you know, whether you have a job or don't have a job, like you're affected by the cost of capital being higher via the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, which, again, causes inflation. Um, and then, yeah, it's just another thing that inflation does when they give out this money is it drives down the value of the current money that's in circulation because if there's more dollars being printed the original dollars are not worth as much because it's like there's no scarcity there there's no there's no shortage there's no you know it's like supply and demand essentially um and i'm probably butchering that analogy and explaining it all types of ways that are incorrect but the way that i like to to imagine it or help people understand it is like okay if if i if i have a thousand dollars 
but I'm able to just go and print another $1,000, that original $1,000 is not going to be worth as much because there's another duplicate uh, fund of $1,000 there. But if, however, there's only that $1,000 left, that's all I got to do whatever I need to do. The value of it is going to be a lot more than than it than than what it would be if there were two sets of you know one thousand dollars if that makes sense if you can follow that but basically when you when you have more of something the value of it is not as significant so it's like trading cards or or you know like i don't know goofy ass nfts or something if there's only one version of of something that you can get Oh, this is exclusive. We're only having this one version of this thing. We're not going to ever sell this again, or we're not going to create copies of this. The value of that is going to be so much higher. But if they say, we made 1 million of these, we made 1 million of these, of these cards, or we made 1 million of, of these, uh, you know, one-on-one editions, pairs of sneakers, or whatever the hell it is. It's just like... If so many people can have access to that thing, the value of it is just not as significant. But if there's if there's a very low shortage or a very small supply of something, it becomes a lot more valuable because the demand for it is going to be so much higher. Um, so that's a part of the reason, again, that we're getting inflation too, supply and demand. So, yeah, with all of that being on the table... And that brief update, basically, I want to look at expenses because we all have expenses. So when you're valuing businesses inside of your investment portfolio, if that's what you do, you want to look at how much a business is is using to pay for the things that they need to pay for in order to stay in business or do business. So you want to look at expenses. And in some of the other episodes, we covered net sales. We covered cost of goods sold. We covered selling general and administrative expenses. And we also covered research and development. So if you're investing in the stock market, where the hell do you find this information? You find it by looking at 10K reports or annual reports of the stocks that you buy. So you can go to sec.gov backslash Edgar database. That's going to give you the 10k reports a 10k report is just a financial breakdown of what these companies are doing with the money that you invest in them it's very very important to look at these things when you have time to really see the value of the businesses that you own inside of your portfolio um and essentially what i like to do is i like to just go almost line for line in the income statements the the profit and loss statements the balance sheet um and just look at the assets and liabilities, look at how much debt there is, look at, uh, you know, whether a company is decreasing the amount of shares outstanding that they have or increasing them, whether they do share buybacks, whether they pay out dividends consistently or not. There's so many different things that I'm looking at and looking for when I look at a company's annual report. Um, but something else we're going to talk about today really, really quickly before I wrap this up is the rest of the other expenses that you will see when you look at a 10K or an annual report of stock that you that you own inside of your portfolio. So basically, um, when you're evaluating a business, other expenses that you might see 
aside from research and development and aside from cost of goods sold and selling and general administrative expenses, you're also going to see interest expenses. So interest expenses, what the hell, where, where does that come into play? Interest expenses are is basically the cost that a business pay, uh, the cost that a business has for borrowing money or borrowing debt to, to fund their daily operations. So you'll look at long-term and short-term debt, things like um, term bonds, income bonds, mortgage bonds, commercial paper, derivatives, exchange-traded notes. These are all um, just different types of securities that businesses will buy in order to just leverage their resources, in order to bring in capital to pay for other expenditures or different types of expenses because they don't want to utilize their retained earnings or they don't want to utilize um, just the cash that they have, whether it's petty cash or just cash in their checking accounts or, you know, they'll have cash set aside for certain projects and certain things that they want to develop. So they would rather use other people's money, um, which is something that you'll see in business a lot. So again, businesses will they'll 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 invest in commercial paper, they'll invest in derivatives and exchange traded notes, like I said, or different types of securities like uh, debt securities like bonds, um, bonds and treasury bills and different things like that. And these things pay them interest uh, over time, over the short term or long term. But then at some point, they have to pay back. The, they have to pay back interest on this money that they borrow. So because that's an expense and it's interest, it's an interest expense. So that's another thing that you want to look at and monitor. So essentially, if interest expenses are continually increasing over, the, over, over time, over the years, that is not a good sign. That means that the business is spending way more money than it should be, or it's borrowing too much money. So another another expense comes from depreciation. And essentially depreciation is when a business will have like warehouses or they'll have, you know, office supplies, whether it's computers, printers, fax machines, they'll have vending machines, they'll have uh, you know, different types of what of machinery that they use to manufacture their products and Essentially, what happens is these products start to break down and get busted up and they have to write that off or they have to count that as a loss at some point because eventually that fax machine or that, I don't know, that print and press or, you know, that steel mill or that, you know, maybe it's a grinding machine that grinds up metal. It's going to break down and eventually it's going to become useless. And once it becomes useless that's going to show up in in the income statement. It's going to show up on the consolidated income statement as an expense. Um it'll it might be an, it, it it might be um as a matter of fact yeah, it'll be a part of just depreciation and just the 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 material item losing its value over time eventually you're going to have to buy new equipment is basically what i'm trying to say here um and the other equipment you're going to have to get rid of so you have to account for that in the income statement and just in the in the report in general so you do that by calculating the depreciation or just making an account for it um and that's just over time 
the the product wearing down. So other expenses that you're going to see in an income statement is things like taxes. So corporate taxes, capital gains, taxes or capital losses. You're also going to see goodwill cost. Um, so if a company buys a business for more than it's worth, that the, the, the leftover amount is going to be calculated as goodwill. Another expense is lawsuits and patents um, or just renewing trademarks. So yeah, those are all things that you want to check out on an income statement or just in an annual report because all of these things are not only in the income statement. There's an income statement, there's a balance sheet, um, there's the, the financing activities. So there's a bunch of different ways that they lay this stuff out in an annual report. Um, so it varies from company to company the way that they set it up, but essentially it's all, it's all, it all does the same thing. It just accounts for what the business is doing with all of their money, how much they're spending, um, how much it costs for them to borrow money when they have to pay certain things back, you know, um, just how their sales were in certain, uh, segments or different divisions of the business. So yeah, it really tells you if a business is doing well or doing bad. Um, and it gives you that either quarterly or you can look at it on a yearly basis. So, yeah, man, those are some of the things you want to look at when you're valuing a business, especially when it comes to expenses. So we're going to wrap it up here. If you found this useful, make sure you download, rate, comment and subscribe to the podcast. We got more episodes on the way. So per the usual, you already know who it is. I'm not going to say it again. I'm out.